anyhow, great job, y'all. Thank you so much for leading us each week. We've been in a series looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and today we come to the final passage, uh, the final word from uh, the Kohelet in Hebrew, in English, the preacher. Also, we might refer to him as the Ecclesiastic, which is where we get the term or the title Ecclesiastes from. Um, and today he's going to answer the big question. Did you look at the front of your bulletin? The meaning of life, right? He's going to tell us what it's not, and he's going to tell us what it is. So y'all should be, I don't know, excited? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. So um, anyhow, our text comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last two verses of the book, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, as is our custom here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, the final word. Here he is. He says, the end of the matter and all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to come back to the verses in just a bit. We're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 12 and then work our way toward what we just read. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, or you can just follow along with us on the screen. Um, Solomon writes, verse, verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And some of your translations, it reads before the difficult days come. And some of your translations, it says before the days of, dif- or the days of trouble come. Solomon is referring here to old age. What follows in the rest of these verses here in chapter 12 is a, uh, what's the word for it? It is an allegorical description, if you would, of the aging process. Um, And so just kind of keep that in mind. Now, before we get into these descriptions, let me say that the word old and the word young are relative terms. Amen? All right, very good. You've heard the saying before that you're only as old as you feel. The point is being old is not a number. Many people have remained energetic and productive and sharp well into what we might consider the twilight years of life. For example, J.C. Penney continued to keep office hours until he was 95 years old. Of age. John Wesley preached until he was 88 years of age. William Gladstone, the great statesman of Britain, was elected as Prime Minister of Britain for a fourth term at the age of 83. Moses, from the Bible, was called by God out of the desert to lead the Israelites for 40 more years at the age of 80. And then don't forget about Noah, right? Noah in that big ark? He didn't start building that until he was 500. So you never know what you can do late in, in life. Um, I've got a picture for you here. This is the very youthful Hiromu Inada. Hiromu is a native of Japan. He is on record as the oldest person to have completed the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii. In 2016, at the age of 83, the man swam in the open ocean for 2.4 miles, biked 112 miles, followed by a full marathon at age 83. He showed back up two more years later in 2018 at the age of 85 and completed it again in the 17-hour time limit. It's said that he is coming back for a third round this coming year at the age of 90. Incredible. So you really are only as old as you feel. 
Verse 2, let's, let's take a look at this. The first description of this aging process, verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Remember, these are allegorical references. So the sun, the moon, the stars are all sources of light. And so in talking about the aging process, the coming of the clouds or the darkening of the light is what some commentators refer to as a loss of mental acuity. That is, as you get older, you start to forget stuff. You don't remember, why did I walk into this room? And then you walk back into the room you just came from in hopes that you'll remember why you were there in the first place. Did somebody steal, did, where are my keys? Did somebody steal my keys? No, you just forgot where it was that you left them. Um, you heard about the two elderly ladies at church. One of them said to the other one, I've known you my whole life. We've raised our kids together here at this church. But for the life of me, I cannot remember your name. Will you please tell me what your name is? And her friend said, um, she told Paul for a minute and said, um, can I get back to you on that later? <laughs> the darkening of the mind, the fading of the memory, that's all just part of the aging process. Verse 3. He says, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble. Again, we're taking allegorical references here. So what keeps the house? The hands, the arms, or the keepers of the house. And as we get old or get a little bit older, they begin to tremble. He says again in verse 3, and the strong men, another allegorical reference perhaps to the legs or perhaps to the back, are bent over, referring to how we have a loss of muscle um, as we get older and how we begin to slump. Still in verse 3, and the grinders, those would be teeth, and the grinders cease because they are few. Tooth decay results as you get older. You go out of the world with no teeth. You come into the world with teeth, right? We didn't have dental care back then uh, you know, when, like we do today. Last part of verse 3, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. The windows are the eyes of the house out into the world. And so we might think of the windows as the eyes of the body. Um, our eyes are dimming, just something that happens with age. That's why you got to wear your glasses up on top of your head to be able to see what it is that you're reading, right? Cataracts also, that sort of thing. Verse 4, and the doors on the street are shut, and the doors are perhaps the avenue for hearing. When the doors are shut, you can't hear what's happening outside of the house. So a reference to being coming hard of hearing. When the sound of the grinding is low, referring to perhaps reduced activity around the household, that it's not, the estate is not as productive as perhaps at one time it used to be. And when the sound of the grinding is low, and then it says, and one rises up or wakes up at the sound of a bird. We've heard the saying before that the early bird catches the... All right, you've heard that before. Um, and so the idea that you're up with the birds means that you're up early. Um, as you get older, the body produces less melatonin, the call of nature. All those sorts of things result in getting up early. All the daughters of song are brought low, perhaps referring to the softening of the voice. Verse 5. They are afraid also of what is high. That could be referring to a mountain off in the distance that the person doesn't want to travel away from the home or perhaps just saying that the person has a fear of falling. Uh, next line, verse 5, the terrors are in the way, the way being the road. It says there are terrors there, so more fear of stumbling perhaps, of falling or going out of doors. He says in verse 5, referring to the almond tree blossoms, the almond tree blossoms were these bright, beautiful white blossoms at a certain time of year, and so perhaps referring to the whitening of the hair. He says the grasshopper drags itself along. Now, you've seen grasshoppers at the beginning of summer. You walk through a field with tall grass, and those things are popping and flying all over the place. Everywhere you go, just bing, bing, bing. They're super agile. They're super speedy. But as summer turns to fall and the temperature begins to go down, those grasshoppers, just the same, begin to slow down. Their agility, their speed is not what it used to be. 
Final part of verse 5, he says, And desires fail because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. So there's a direct reference to the end of life, to the funeral itself. Down to verse 7, And the dust, or the body, returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit, or soul, returns to God who gave it. If you've ever been to a graveside service before, you perhaps heard the pastor say, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, to the ground we commit their body, but to you, O Lord, we commit the spirit. A recognition that, look, the person is returning back to the elements of the universe from which this body was formed, from which this body is a part, but yet the eternal part of the person, the soul, rises on up to be with the Lord uh, amongst believers. Um, those words, that concept, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, come from right here in the book of Ecclesiastes. When we arrive at verse 8, Solomon returns to his original thesis statement. And it's the theory that he has been pressing throughout the entire book. Here we are at the end of the book, and he's still saying the same thing. He has not relented from his original thesis. And his statement is, verse 8, Vanity of vanities, says the Kohelet, or the preacher, all is vanity. Now, I've got a slide for you here that um, just kind of takes us on a journey back through the book of Ecclesiastes to this point, um, kind of a summary, and it shows the many ways in which Solomon tried to find fulfillment. That's been his quest all along. How do I find meaning? How do I find purpose? How do I find satisfaction in life? How do I find fulfillment? In chapter 1, he concluded that you can't find it by out in nature because nature is just a big cycle. There's nothing new in nature. Nature is just repeating itself time and over and over again. In chapter 2, he reports several attempts he made to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life. He tried self-indulgence, didn't find it there. He tried living wisely, followed by productivity, again, to no avail. In chapter 3, he thought maybe he could find fulfillment through observing the seasons, Again, nothing doing. In verse 4, he thought maybe friendship, that cord of two or three strands, which is not easily broken, he thought he could find fulfillment there. And then he concludes, you know what? Friends are friends until they're not your friends. And so friendship is also vanity. In chapter 5, he tried to, the making and keeping of promises. In chapters 5 and 6, he considered wealth, possessions, and honor. In chapter 8, he brought the might, he or he thought he might find fulfillment through virtuous leadership, and then he reverted back to eating and drinking and being joyful. And in all of these, the result was exactly the same. And he says this at the end of each of one of these searches. He says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He tried to find fulfillment in love, chapter 9. He tried to find fulfillment in youthfulness, chapter 11. And here, if by some strange irony, he thought maybe he could find fulfillment at the end of life in the actual aging process itself, perhaps even at the point of death, we might finally be able to find fulfillment. And so he concludes here, verse, five, verse 8, vanity of vanities, it's still all vanity. So with that, we've come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon's thesis statement is proven, at least by his reckoning, to be correct. Solomon examines the whole scope of human experience and human life examines nature itself, hoping in one of these avenues, in one of these pursuits, that he will finally find the satisfaction, finally find what it is that will fill that emptiness that lies within him. And yet what he discovers, what he, what he concludes is, those are all vain pursuits. 
life under the sun, looking to the right, looking to the left, I, I, I don't find the fulfillment that I'm hungering for. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes may be the world's most uh, intense and the world's most comprehensive investigation of the question, what is the meaning of life? Solomon did not, uh, he didn't do like the philosophers do, just sit around thinking about what is the meaning of life. He actually went out and pursued to the very max uh, wisdom. He went out and pursued to the very max pleasure. He went out and he had the money and he had the power. He, he had the time to do these things. And he did them with all of his might, and yet he came up to the same conclusion time and again. Verse 8, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. You say, Gordon, that's kind of depressing. Uh, to say that there's no meaning, no purpose to life, are you sure that this even belongs in the Bible, right? Even more importantly, what am I supposed to do with this? What difference does any of this make to my life? Well, that's a great question. Let's see if we can answer that. First of all, to the question, does this belong in the Bible? Sure it does. Solomon affords us an opportunity to learn what not to do. One of the guys in our breakfast group said, it's like he's saying, don't do as I did, do as I say. Sometimes we can learn what not to do by observing the mistakes of others. You don't have to hit your thumb with a hammer to discover that it hurts, right? And that's kind of what Solomon's saying here. Is, hey, look, I've already smacked my thumb with a hammer, and I've done it a bunch of times. Look, folks, it throbs, it hurts. Don't pursue the path that I've produced. So that's part of the value of the book of Ecclesiastes. However, as you may have deduced, the book is not over yet. It's got six more verses. So let's take a look at those together. And we'll see here that Solomon, he's already told us up to this point what the meaning of life is not. It's not looking to the right. It's not looking to the left. It's not trying to find purpose and meaning of fulfillment from the stuff under the sun. Rather, it's from some other place. And so he's going to tell us what the meaning of life is. Let's take a look. Solomon's closing remarks, verse 9. Besides being wise, remember God granted Solomon extreme wisdom. He had an ability to see into issues, to see into problems in a way that ordinary men and women could not. Besides being wise, the preacher, Solomon also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. We see the evidence of that in the book of Proverbs. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, reports that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs or psalms. He had a lot to say, and he had a deep well from which to draw it. Verse 10 the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. And so we see that throughout Proverbs. We see that throughout Song of Solomon, words of delight, words of truth. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. A goad is a staff that a shepherd would use to prod the sheep along. He's saying the words of wisdom prod us where we need to be prodded. The words of the wise are also like nails, firmly fixed. You drive a nail into a board, it's there, it's stuck. Right? And it holds the building together. And he's saying if you follow the way of wisdom, it too will help hold your life together. Verse 13, here's the end of the matter. Now that everything has been heard, my quest is over. I've done all the searching. I've looked in every different corridor and nook and cranny of life. Here's the end of the matter. Now that all has been heard, 12 chapters of what, is the, what the meaning of life is not. 
Here's what the meaning of life is. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You know, when we think of fearing someone, we think of a horror movie, a running scared and cowering and hiding. When it comes to the fear of the Lord, that's not what the Bible has in view. Rather, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, the Bible intends for us to show proper reverence toward him, to take him seriously, to approach God with an attitude of humility and respect. Jesus said it this way, in teaching us to pray, he said, to pray to our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is, show God the proper respect and the proper reverence that is due to him. You don't tell your coach to take a hike. Better not. Be running. Tell a bully to take a hike, but you don't say that to someone who is in authority over you. Solomon says you want to know what life is about. You want to know what the purpose of life is, what the whole duty of man is. Real simple. Number one, fear God. That is, live with a proper reverence toward him. And what does that look like practically? Number two, keep his commandments. That, that is, be obedient to what God expects of us. Jesus put it this way, John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you will keep or obey my commands. Friends, we don't like to hear this, but our God has fixed and fast standards for the way we are to conduct our lives. God is holy. He wants for our lives to be a reflection of that holiness. If you're messing around, sleeping around, just having fun, friends, that is not living with reverence. That is not living with respect. That is not living with a proper fear of the Lord. And if you need a little nudge in this direction, Solomon offers us one. He says in verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Your mom and dad may not know what you've been up to, your coach may not know what you've been up to. Your spouse may not know what you've been up to. But there is somebody who does. Flip over to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. The Apostle John is writing about the final judgment when all of humanity will be marched out one at a time. And we will have to give an account before God of how we conducted our lives. Verse 12. I saw the dead, great and small, kings and those lesser than kings, standing before the throne, the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. End of verse 12. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. What this verse tells us is that everything you've ever done, good or bad, or as Solomon says, good or evil, is being recorded in the record books of heaven. <clears throat> There's a hall of records in heaven. And one day, your book and my book are going to be pulled off that shelf, open before us, and we're going to have to give an account of what's there. Again, in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14, this is the word of the Lord. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Again, in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know this, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. 
Now, that's the bad news. <laughs> Here's some good news. You, re- you need some good news? I, I, I need some good news. The good news is, after that not-so-fun conversation is finished, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, God will say, here are your rewards. Pass my right. Come on into heaven. Through the blood of Jesus, friends, we can approach the throne of grace without fear or trembling. We can be safe and secure in the presence of a holy God, but only through the blood of Jesus. Something for us to think about. You know, as I was reading and preparing this week, I became most thankful for the book of Ecclesiastes. I just stopped here for a few moments and I said, Lord, I mean, thank you for this. Thank you for a guy that hit his thumb with a hammer and said, look, it hurts. Don't follow. Don't do as I did. Do as I'm saying. Solomon asks us, what are you living for? Are you following in my footsteps, pursuing the things of this world, things that I have proven to you will not satisfy? Solomon says you'll never find what you're looking for in life to the right, and life to the left, life under the sun. All that'll do if you're looking this way and you're looking that way is it'll produce covetousness. It'll produce temptation for your eyes, it'll produce temptation for your mind, and friends, that stuff like sin, always leaves us um, under-delivered. Vain pursuits, emptiness. The conclusion of the matter is the meaning of life is found when we live toward God. The whole du- this is the whole duty of man, the purpose of your existence. Life under the sun, meaningless. Life under the sun, S-O-N, is delightful. You say, Gordon, does that mean that the worldly pursuits and worldly enjoyments are to be shunned by Christians? Is that what this is saying? No, a handful of weeks ago we talked about the difference between hedonism, if you remember Snoop Dogg, and asceticism, which is the guy that lays on the bed of nails. One, this asceticism is trying to uh, rid himself of all worldly pleasure and just go through life at the very edge of existence. And the other is trying to fill his life with pleasure. And the Bible says, look, we need to find a balance somewhere in the middle there, making sure that our actions are in step with, are keeping God's commandments. God doesn't say that we're not to enjoy the blessings of this world or all that he has created for us to live in. Um, So we're not to recoil from those worldly pleasures. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 9, Solomon says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Back in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 7, he said, Go, eat bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, verse 9, and enjoy life with the wife whom you love. So again, the Bible is not inviting us to asceticism on the one hand. It's not inviting us to hedonism on the other. That there's a balance somewhere between those two. The key is to make sure that we fear God and keep his commands. One last thought. Perhaps this is why some of us showed up here today. Because we needed to hear this. You ready? You ready? Just making sure. Somebody's next to you is already nodding. Just give them one of those. He's about to say something important. Listen up. If life has hit you sideways, if it has hit you coming and going, here's what Ecclesiastes has taught me. Ecclesiastes tells me that trying to bring heaven to earth is a vain pursuit. 
cannot be done. As evidenced by the fact that nothing under the sun will satisfy. My purpose in life is to fear God and keep his commandments, not to try to bring heaven to earth. I cannot get here what heaven has to offer there. In other words, stop treating this life like it is the best life that you will ever live. Now, if you're not a believer, then you better get busy living. Because this is as close to heaven as you will ever get. But if you are a believer, washed in the blood of Jesus, then that means this is the closest you will ever be to hell. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious Lord, we thank you for this wonderful message reminding us that you have something so much more amazing in store for us. In the meantime, our responsibility is this. Fear God and keep his commands. Lord, as we come around this table today, we're reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body. And as we have this time of communion today, Lord, perhaps we just needed that little nudge, that little reminder today that uh, trying to squeeze the limit of this life to get the very most out of it Lord, that's just a vain pursuit. It'll never satisfy. And so, Lord, we just again today say, my life, Lord, it belongs to you. And I'm so thankful again, God, that you have something waiting for me. You said in John chapter 14 that I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you this. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope of heaven and the means to get there through the blood of Jesus Christ. Speak to us, encourage our hearts today during this time of communion. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Mm-hmm.